across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. You're listening to The Sports Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is the, the, the Sports Show. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where we bring you sports stories and talking points from throughout the Thames Valley. I'm Ed Tarleton, and over the next hour, I'll be taking you through all the debate and discussion alongside our panellists, Maria Sapsinos, Will Taylor and Sam Setti. There's plenty to come on today's show, so why not join us as we unpack another episode of Extra Time. Coming up this week, Will interviews Racing Post journalist Maddie Playl ahead of a huge event in local sport. What makes Royal Ascot so unique is the historic element of it. British racing has a lot of traditions and is steeped in history, and Royal Ascot is really sort of a, a main part of that. Our reporter Ben Green speaks to Wickham Wanderers women and their manager who are looking forward to getting back on the pitch after two seasons of delays. I joined the club in August 2019 and I'm yet to complete the season, mainly due to Covid of course. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting and challenging time. And with Wimbledon on the horizon, Maria visited Caversham Lawn Tennis Club to chat with their committee members following their reopening. Everyone's here to have a good time to play, so it doesn't matter what level you're at, um, you can turn up and play. All that and more to come on this week's Extra Time. Yes, welcome along once again to Extra Time, the resident sports show on River Radio. Plenty to look forward to this evening in the company of our panel, who I'm delighted to say have all decided to return following last week's inaugural episode. Delighted to have you all back. How are you all? Are you well? Yeah, all good my end. Yeah, steaming hot over here. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Excellent stuff. It's great to see you, as I say. Sam, I'll, I'll come to you first. I feel like I did you something of a, of a disservice last week. Now, really? over the course of the show, we found out plenty about you. MD of the station, of course, former player for Leicester Tigers under-19s. And from what you said, stalwart anti-cricketer as well. But something we never unpacked was your connection to Liverpool. So I gather there's a bit of a, a story around that. So tell us how it was you, you did become a Liverpool fan. Yeah, I grew up in Leicester, so I should have been a Leicester fan really that would have that would have paid dividends a few yeah, years ago yeah 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 that would have been useful um no my dad was in the rag trade so we used to get all the goods brought in by ship to liverpool on a port and i was too young to really and I'm bored really as well let's be honest so to go and help him so he used to stick me on the cop with in the kids section along with <laughs> his mate's son and the two of us were basically so the cop was actually my first crash Wow. And that was it. I was literally chucked in the cot. We'll see you in 90 minutes. He'd go and do some business and then pick me up at the end of the match. And that was it. So I just went and watched matches. And because it was 10 p.m., you know, it was cheap as chips to put kids into the into the Liverpool cop end. Because uh-huh. I had a kid's area. And that was it. That was my uh, growing that, up. That was your introduction to, to yeah. football. Thank God he didn't stick me in bloody Everton. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because Goodison Park's not far. No, you can see it, and that would have been awful. God, growing up as a toffee, no chance. (laughs) That would have been a game changer for you. Maria, great to welcome you back again. You took a a lot of flack last week, largely at at the hands of Will, but you've not let that deter you, and I'm very pleased about that. Now, you had a bit of a dilemma yesterday, didn't you? Because England faced Croatia in their first Euros game at the same time. Novak Djokovic was on his way to, to winning the French Open. Tennis, very much one of your passions, isn't it? How, how did you deal with that genuinely terrible piece of scheduling? 
Well, let's clarify by saying that it, it wasn't Novak Djokovic that I was there to watch. It was uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, being half Greek, yeah. A, a big follower of the tennis and a big follower of, of Greek sports sports people, athletes. Maria Sakari as well from Greece as well, who made the semi-finals at Roland Garros. So it was a bit of an awful scheduling, but... Being brought up in England, I felt a bit of an obligation, you know, to, to have the football on, even though I was completely engrossed in, in the tennis that was happening before me. And there, there's where the iPad came out and there's where it was in front of me and I was, I was checking everything. I watched the goal, I was there, I was present for the goal and I watched it back as well and watched a little bit, but ultimately my attention was on, was on the tennis. You, you dual screened? Yeah, I definitely dual screen. I mean, that's it's rogue, but I like it. And that's exactly the kind of qualification that gets you a seat at the River Radio sports table, as it were. And I remember last week you said that your sporting hero was Dennis Burkamp. And I was listening back to the show and, and something that kind of glossed over me at the time, but I realised because you're half Greek and you're a quarter Dutch, which means you're only a quarter English. So to, to have the game on and feel that gravitational pull nonetheless, I think it's commendable. I mean, if Greece were in the Euros, that game would not have been on. <laughs> I would only be watching the, the Greek matches. That's as much of my attention could go to. But no, I back the boys now because cause I am a, a quarter English. All right, fair enough. Well, glad to have you along for the ride, certainly. And finally, of course, Will Taylor, very much the villain of the piece last week. Over 300 Ofcom complaints about his appearance on the previous show. <laughs> Uh, that I drafted on my computer. Um, no, I do. Great to have you back again, Will. Uh, but you had quite the weekend as well, didn't you? Because we did mention last week you're from Devon and a big fan of, of Torquay United, and you returned home for what proved to be a, a very big game for the club, didn't you? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we uh, we played in the uh, National League playoff semi-final this weekend um, and I don't know if you can hear by the sound of my voice it went, <laughs> it went to extra time and it was a very long day um, yeah it was it was incredible so uh, we beat Notts County 4-2 after extra time it was an incredible weekend um, obviously we had England yesterday as well as Maria mentioned which we, you know you have to get behind that just as much so um, yeah it was uh, it, there was a lot of shouting going on getting behind the boys and all that sort of stuff great to be back in the ground but yeah um, feeling feeling the effects of it on my throat this can uh, I just say evening. is that Will Luther Vandross yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if anything, uh, it's an improvement, if you ask me. Well, so. I mean, that's, I, I, do you know what? That's not the first time I've heard that today, either, unfortunately. <laughs> so. Well, we'll talk a little bit about your adventures with Torquay later on, of course, but you will be heading down to Bristol, irrespective of whether or not you can get a ticket to the final. Is that right? Definitely. I'm really hoping I can get a ticket for the final because it's, it's I've watched a lot of rubbish with Torquay over the years. So <laughs> to, to, to be in some sort of playoff final um, is, is the stuff of dreams. So I'm definitely hoping uh, I, I can make it to Bristol, to Ashton Gate next Sunday, yeah. OK, well, as I say, we'll pick that up later on. There we have it. That is our panel for today. Remember, of course, you can join in the discussion as well by tweeting us at River Radio Live. And so without further ado, let's crack on with the show. And last week, Will caught up with Racing Post journalist Mally Playle. Now, ahead of one of Berkshire's, one of the most big sporting events in the year, Royal Ascot, which begins tomorrow. So many big races scheduled and, of course, plenty of famous faces expected to attend. Will started off by asking just how important the occasion is in the world of racing. It's the biggest flat race meeting on the calendar. For jumps, we have the Cheltenham Festival, we have the Grand National. For the flat, we have Royal Ascot. What makes Royal Ascot so unique is the historic element of it. British racing has a lot of traditions and is steeped in history, and Royal Ascot is really sort of a, a main part of that. The card's slightly different. We've had some additional races added. They're remaining for this year's um, fixture. So there, there are more races for punters and um, racing enthusiasts to get stuck into. But we've still got the, 
the real classic races of the meeting, the likes of the Gold Cup, which is such a unique event. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that in in just a while, as well as the really exciting two-year-old races. You know, they're key for like the the stallions and and the whole industry. Really, a meeting like this just props up everything. So yeah, I'm really really looking forward to it, and it's going to be a fantastic week of action. It really is teed up to be quite the spectacle this year. There are so many big races at Royal Ascot, as you've mentioned, with lots of them obviously being at the very highest level of the sport. What can we expect from those key races across the week? We kick off with a, a real belter with the, the Queen Anne stakes and we've got a real headline horse in here in the shape of Palace Pier. He's been the sort of standout miler, only been beaten at the top level once and he had legitimate excuses and that came at Ascot last year in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes. Uh, but he'll return to the track in the very first race and he's a really unique talent. He's a, a horse that everyone can really get excited by. He's got an exceptional turn of foot. And he just seems to tackle everything that comes in his stride. There doesn't seem to be much strength in this division at the moment, as is often the case. So we'll be hoping for a real knockout performance um, to start us off. The King Stand also on the Tuesday. So the Queen Anne's at 2.30, the King Stand's at 3.40. Um, and hopefully we'll see the return of Batash, the real lightning sprinter who sort of lit up this five furlong division in the last couple of years. He, again, he's a very unique talent in that he's been performing in these races at the similar level for such a long time now. He's a real fan favourite. And he's sort of grown on people with age as his, his character's changed and we've learned more and more about him. So, yeah, we haven't seen Patash so far this season, so that'll be a really interesting angle to see if he's in the same sort of form that, that's seen him win the race before. And then we go on to Wednesday and we have the Prince of Wales' stakes where we could see last year's winner, Lord North, among many others, the field's yet to take full shape just yet but he was an explosive winner of the race last year and often we see some excellent performances at this distance um, either horses stepping up from a mile or stepping down from a mile and a half so really looking forward to the Prince of Wales's stakes but the highlight for most people is going to be on Thursday and that's the Ascot Gold Cup now from 2006 to 2009 a horse called Yates won the race four times for Aidan O'Brien um, and various different jockeys twice for Johnny Murtagh once for Kieran Fallon and once for Mick Canan. He was a real superstar stayer um, of his generation. And Stradivarius, again, is such a charismatic horse. Everyone in the industry really enjoyed following him. And he's bidding to emulate Yates and win the Gold Cup for the fourth time for Frankie Dettori and John Gosden. Frankie, we know he comes to life um, at Ascot Week. So it'll be fantastic to see if the, the brilliant combination can just capture our hearts once again, because they were breathtaking in the race last year friday we go forward um to some of the younger talents we have the commonwealth cup over six furlongs for the three-year-old sprinters and also the coronation stakes over a mile for the Phillies. so hoping to see some stars of the future potentially on there and then we finish on saturday uh, the group one then is the diamond jubilee stakes again for the sprinters over the six furlongs this time the race has seen some really memorable performers um, in the last couple of years or so. And this year, I think hopes are high for Ed Walker's star man. Again, it doesn't necessarily look like the deepest division, but this horse was really impressive at York when we last saw him. And hopefully he can sort of fill the void um, of a few horses retiring in that division. So there's lots of different things to look forward to, but the highlight for most will be on Thursday. 
You mentioned so many of the top level races across the five days. I mean, just how important are those races for the owners, trainers, horses and jockeys as well? Um, And is it fair to say it can be make or break for them? Definitely. Um, You know, if a trainer's in good form coming into Royal Ascot, that gives them an awful lot of confidence. And owners are going to be wanting to get winners here. You know, it's the flagship meeting. So the pressure's going to be on. And for jockeys as well, especially the younger jockeys, perhaps they haven't ridden at Royal Ascot before, getting a ride is a a really huge deal. And it can be very much make or break. Um, Some of the smaller trainers as well, we're seeing the industry, we often see the leading lights like John Gosden, Aidan O'Brien, successful. But when a smaller trainer or smaller connections succeed at Royal Ascot, it can really act as an incredible stepping stone for the rest of their career. So it would be great if we can see the usual performances, but also it'd be nice to see if some uh, less heralded connections can find their way into the Royal Ascot winning enclosure, because that's often what makes the meeting so magical. And indeed, with the international allure, particularly Wesley Ward, the American trainer, he's been hugely successful with his juvenile horses, his two-year-olds that he brings over to the meeting. He's got the Queen Mary red-hot favourite Ruthin on Wednesday, and that's a race that he particularly does very, very well and won it a couple of years ago with the brilliant Lady Aurelia. So I often think, yeah, as much as we have lots of different angles anyway, the the really international flavour, although COVID has had an impact on that, and it did last year, and probably still even this year, it's more and more difficult for people to come over here it's still a really key part of the the week. And I I love comparing the different horses from different jurisdictions that come over and and just seeing how how different their approach is to in Britain and and how our horses match up with theirs because there's so much work that goes into guessing. You know, if you're a punter and you want to find a winner, but it's just a really fascinating angle as well, having especially Wesley Ward's horses. I mean, just I've just named Ruthven there. He's also got Campanelle, um, who's among the favourites for the Commonwealth Cup. She was a winner at the meeting last year um, and many others. So, yeah, keep your eye on those horses for sure. You mentioned so many great horses there. Now, finally, are there any picks you would suggest this week for any punters looking to have a flutter? There's a horse I think could run, run well in the Coventry um, at a really big price as well. So make sure you get um, the best possible odds and, and go for an each way on this one. But I think Go Bears Go um, for the Loch Nain team. He won at the track last time, owned by Ammo Racing, who are becoming huge supporters, especially this year of two-year-olds. Um, and this horse, as I say, won at the track, won really impressively. The form hasn't worked out maybe as well as it could have done, but there were still positives to take from it. And I think he can take a big step forward. So although he's not one of the real fancied ones, I think we'll see him run a really big race. If we go down in the Queen Mary, again, Ruthin is at the top of the market, but I like a filly called Yet. I thought she won very nicely on debut at Dundalk. So keep an eye on her. And then again, going down you see um, the Norfolk Stakes should be another great race. Wesley Ward's Lucky is in there. Stradivarius in the Gold Cup, as we've said. But the other one I want to give a, a positive mention to is in the Commonwealth Cup, and that's Diligent Harry for Clive Cox. The trainer won this race last year with, with Golden Horde. He's a real dab hand with his sprinters, and I get the feeling that, again, this horse is around the 12-1 to 1 mark. It's a, he's definitely a trainer to keep on side at Royal Ascot, Clive Cox. He does particularly well in these sort of sprint races as much as he's got supremacy in there. I think if Diligent Harry does turn up, 
he's definitely one to watch because I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. So there's just a couple. I'll tell you what, and I'll throw one other into the mix as well. And that is in the coronation stakes on Saturday. So Michael Stout has entered a horse in there, Potapova. She's won both of her two starts to date. Now, they weren't particularly high-class wins, but it's very unlike the trainer to enter a horse in this race you know, as a as a three-year-old, as a young horse, he tends to give his horses time. So he clearly thinks an awful lot of Potapova. And this horse's grandma actually won the coronation stakes back in 2004. I think it was Russian Rhythm. So she's got the pedigree for it. And um, if turning up, I think she could surprise a few. That's Potapova. Maddie, thank you so much for offering us so much insight and very kindly giving us some very strong tips for the week ahead. I hope you can enjoy Royal Ascot just as much as I'm sure everyone else will. Thank you very much. No problem. Best of luck, everyone. Maddie Playle there from the Racing Post, giving us an in-depth insight into the week of racing ahead at Royal Ascot. With plenty of big races and huge moments bound to unfold over the week, it looks set to be a cracker. But please, if you are going to have a bet, then do so responsibly. For more information, visit begambleaware.org. Maddie Playle there speaking to Will. Will, really enjoyed that. You know Maddie quite well, don't you? And and I, I looked her up. I wasn't familiar with her. I was madly scribbling just now as well. I was scribbling down all of the tips because, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I do like a flutter. Um, but, you know, she's got a real a real profile and a real pedigree, thousands of followers on, on Twitter, and, and she speaks really eloquently about, about the race, and it's clearly a very big deal, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And um, and like you said, I've worked with Maddie a few times before. She's absolutely excellent. She she really, really does know her stuff. She's, all, she's always at all the biggest meeting she's one of the lead journalists for Cheltenham she's been there a few times and obviously she obviously she'll be there at, uh, at Royal Ascot from tomorrow uh, she, she's genuinely um, a, a really nice person as well but no some really really good tips there and it's it's just such a big big week for flats racing it is the week of flats racing in the calendar there's no getting away from that so plenty to look forward to uh, over the next few days like you said and um, you know just got to keep it responsible so Will um, Royal Ascot's clearly an important event in the racing year isn't it a shame, though, that fans won't be able to attend in full? It is, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, a year ago, obviously, it went ahead. They, they chucked a few extra races on top of it um, that, that got cancelled earlier on because of COVID and all that sort of stuff. And those races have stayed this year, which is really nice to see. Um, but I think the hope eventually was that fans would be back for this one and it would be really nice to be able to see them there properly, you know, sort of um, in, in full voice. And like, like Ed mentioned in the intro, there's so many famous faces and so many great people that, that turn up to Royal Ascot that really make it the sort of event it is. So um, it's, it's a real shame that they're not going to be there in full. There will be some form of spectators though it's limited numbers it's not it's not fully closed off but um i think a lot of people would have been hoping it would uh, it would have been a bit more of a festival this I time will last be there. year i will well there we go then that's that's all that matters sam isn't it uh, well, yeah exactly <laughs> it's about me if we haven't worked this out it's all yeah, about me exactly yeah no, no i mean I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy it and i'm sure all the, all the punters that are going will have a lovely time as well so well, I'm I'm looking for some tips, you know. Uh, I might make a little flutter like Ed as well. Um, is there anything that Maddie mentioned that caught your ear for the week of racing ahead? Yeah, I mean, it's not the not the best odds, but the, the biggest fancy across the week has to be Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. I mean, as Maddie mentioned, they'll be looking for a fourth win. I think it is in in as many years. It's it's a genuinely truly special horse, Stradivarius, a real fan favourite. Maddie mentioned it, so such such a charming horse. It it really is. So um, Stradivarius, she met a, she mentioned. 
so many others. I mean, Go Bears Go, she mentioned at quite a big price. If you're looking for an each way bet, like she said, um, that there's there's a lot of value to be, to be found there across the week. But I mean, there's there's so much. This is the thing about Cheltenham is there's so, um, about Ascot. Sorry, is that there's just so many great races there, both Group One at the top tier and and even a little bit further down, especially with the the races um, being added on. Check out a lot of what sort of Maddie writes and a lot of what they do at the racing post, and it really gives you an, some pointers in the in the in the right direction. But um, definitely pick of the week for me has to be Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. I really hope, like I said, a beautiful horse that can hopefully uh, hopefully bring it home. There we are then. Rural Ascot set to begin in what promises to be a fine week of racing. Lots to look forward to. Meanwhile, up next, it's our club catch-up. Across the Thames Valley, this is River Radio News. You're listening to Extra Time, our weekly sports show here on River Radio. With restrictions gradually being lifted and many football teams now able to plan for the new season, our reporter Ben Green spoke to those involved at Wickham Wanderers Women, who've set their sights on winning promotion to the National League after almost two seasons of postponements due to the coronavirus pandemic. Throughout the pandemic, amateur football teams were forced to hang up the boots with restrictions subsequently forcing leagues to null and void seasons. A team who felt this impact more than most were Wickham Wanderers ladies. On the rise in recent years, manager Dave Ward explains the journey the club has been on since he took charge. I joined the club in August 2019 and I'm yet to complete the season, mainly due to Covid of course. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting and challenging time. Uh, I think it was 2016, 15 maybe, that um, a new team was then associated with Wickham Wanderers again. Um, and that team I inherited in August 2019. There had been another team drop out of Premier Division, uh, which left a third promotion place open to Wickham for my first season. And in that first season, we were doing particularly well and then um, lockdown number one came into play um, so the, the ambition for the club is really to try and get into the FA National League which I've done previously with AFC Wimbledon uh, ladies it's a good quality of football uh, but that's the ambition we've reshaped how we manage the club to allow me to really get on and uh, manage the football side of things at the club for over 18 years Captain Charlotte Bagshaw has seen more than most when it comes to women's football. She describes the current team setup and the ethos behind their playing strategy. The style that we play, we just try and keep it on the floor, keep it on the deck and pass the ball around and try and get through teams that way. You know, it's, it's too easy to just launch the ball forwards and, and try and do it that way. And it doesn't always work, as I'm sure you know, watching different teams on TV and stuff. So and Dave's ethos is, is very much that, just keep it on the floor and play simple football, just easy passes all the time if we can. We've got a really solid defence, centre-backs, brilliant you know Katie Hudson she's been at the club donkey's years every tackle is a 90-10 to her there's never a 50-50 you know she's going to win it and then we've got mobs that Dave brought in she started off at centre back and then we realised we needed to start scoring a few more goals and she's played I think she played striker for Oxford United a few years ago so she knows what she's doing in, in that position and she scored a few goals for us last season we've, we've got strength all over the pitch it's just keeping hold of those players and trying to bring the 18s up and get them to the same standard, which is going to be the test for us, really. With several teams battling for just one automatic promotion place, Dave and Charlotte gave their views on the coming season and what a realistic target is for the club. It'll be, it'll be promotion again. We don't, we don't want to 
go into the league thinking that we're not good enough to gain promotion. And I think the squad that we have should be strong enough to compete with the best of them. It, it is a difficult situation when you've only got one promotion place per league, you know, so that there were never any guarantees in football, um, as we all know. So we can only put ourselves into the best position possible. Some silverware would be nice. 2019 season, which was void. Um, we got to a cup final and then obviously COVID begun. So we were, I think, a month away from playing it. So that was really frustrating that we couldn't, because that we couldn't play that because I'm quite confident we would have won it. Um, but yeah, definitely promotion and a cheeky cup if possible. <laughs> Someone who both works and plays for the club, Alicia Povey has seen the incredible rise of both the men's and women's teams in recent seasons. But with this affiliation to a team as widely recognised as Wickham Wanderers, does Alicia feel this is a help for the club? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it should. But at the same time, like, yeah, I think having a men's team and having that link is important in, in terms of obviously financially. It's obviously going to feel special putting on a Wickham shirt. I mean, we've seen the, with the support that's sort of come about in the last sort of five years or so, it's really helped us. Every, I mean, everyone's always going to want to beat us. We've got, we've had some, I mean, we've had rivals over the years. Ten years I've been there and we've had all sorts of rivalries. If you're playing a team that, that maybe they don't have a men's team or they're just a women's setup or something, then they, yeah, they're going to want to, like, want to put on their social media, for example, that they've beat Wickham, Wickham Wanderers. And, like, I think with the men's team, it's been the opposite in that people expected them to lose and then they were fighting and they won some games. So. Yeah, I think we're kind of in, in similar positions, but the opposite, like opposite ends of the table, if that makes sense. As someone who was looking to build the relationship with the men's team further, Alicia also expressed her feelings on how the women's game can continue to grow. I think with the Euros coming up in England, that'll be a really good opportunity to get more girls playing. And the FA created some roles specifically for that to get underrepresented groups into women's football. So... I think there'll be a big boost after the Euros as well, like there was after the World Cup. I think visibility is is really important because young girls aren't going to want to be a professional footballer if they don't see that as a as a viable career. Um, if they don't see women on TV playing sport, so I think it's about like sponsorship deals and like big companies getting involved. Obviously, Barclays sponsoring the WSL was a really big step, and Sky as well. The the um, obviously they've just signed that big deal. So it's stuff like that, visibility and just general support and making it a viable commercial business. I think that will help. So after almost two seasons of delays, the club's captain and manager can finally look ahead to matters on the pitch once more. With an immediate iron promotion, where do the pair see the club a few seasons from now? The five-year plan really, I, I would think, would be fairly optimistic. It's about looking to achieve step three, which is National uh, Premier Southern, um, and then trying to build uh, on top of the 18. So we get a 16s, 14s, 12s, 10s and so on. I would be happy with just having cemented our place in that National League and be comfortable, not, you know, not fighting for our place every season. If we can, if we can be comfortable in that league and finish mid to top half of the table, I'd be, I'd be really happy with that. With the girls back to pre-season training in July, preparations are now being put in place for another promotion in charge. And after a dark period for amateur football throughout the last two years, the future looks bright once again for Wickham women. 
Ben Green, our chief reporter there, going out and about to Wickham Wanderers ladies this week. Ben now joins us on the line. Ben, can you hear me? Going to ask you that question probably every week when you're on the phone. Yes, I can hear you, Ed. How are you? You're right. I'm very well, thank you, Ben. Great to uh, great to be able to pick up with you. And I'll tell you what, you know, there was some real positivity there from from both players and manager, which, considering the setbacks they have had and not being able to play, really does do them credit, doesn't it? Because it's been a it's been quite a journey over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, look, almost two seasons without playing football. It's an incredible amount of time, and people don't necessarily realise that these girls haven't played for that amount of time. You know, it's it's an important part of their lives, you know, that yes, they have jobs on the side, but this is a crucial part socially of what they do. And, you know, I think without that, it's been very difficult for a lot of the players to kind of get by without that social aspect. Hey, Ben, uh, Sam here. Look, it's clear that Dave Ward has a lot of managerial experience. He even travels from Surrey every week to take training and be at matches. How important do you think he will be to any success the club can have this season? I think he's pivotal. I really do. You know, travelling all the way from Surrey for training and, and games, that's a real commitment. Um, and I think that clearly shows that he has a real passion for women's football. It's uh, something he's been involved in for almost a decade now. Um, he's had success with FC Wimbledon ladies, taking them to the National League. And he wants to do the same with Wickham. And I think if Wickham women are going to get to that level, he is crucial to that success. Hi, Ben. Uh, it's Will here, mate. So I know how much of a big Wickham fan you are as well, of, of the men's team and, and the women's team as well. I mean, would it be fair to say that the rise of the women's team sort of mirrored that of the men's that I know you've been, you've been so happy about in the recent years? I know it was mentioned in the package. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, I actually played for Wickham Academy about seven years ago, and that was the dark ages of Wickham. There wasn't even a women's team um, <laughs> seven years ago, and... It wasn't until, I won't rub it in too much, but it wasn't until Wickham beat Torquay on the final day. <laughs> I, knew, of the I was wondering how long it would take for this to come up, mate. Yeah. I'm surprised it was that long. <laughs> yeah. Kind <laughs> of opened my package so, with that, but that's, that's another story. Well, you know, since that moment, it's been onwards and upwards. You know, we could have a whole show dedicated to how Wickham reached the championship. It's just an incredible story. And it's the same for the women's team. You know, they've, they've gone up the leagues, but I think the best. The biggest achievement for Wickham women is they're no longer just a team. They're a club now. They've got a reserve team. They've got a youth set up. And like I said last week with Henley, having that conveyor belt of talent coming through is, is crucial to teams at that level because you can have a good team for one or two seasons, but when some of those players move on, where's the next step? So I think they're putting things in place to have a, a sustained period of success, which is, I think is what they're going to have. Hey, Ben. Uh, Maria here. I'd just like to say thank you. I'm sat around a table with three other men and you've done a package on women's sport and I, I just love that, you know. Um, just love the, the woman angle on this. But if, Which I commissioned. <laughs> but still, you know. <laughs> I just think women's sport is often not spoken about enough and, yeah, really great um, and really great stuff they're doing. But if I wanted to get involved playing or watching, how, how could someone do that? Yes, I mean, I'm actually on the website at the moment. So if you go to the official Wickham Wanderers website, that's wickhamwanderers.co.uk, there's a whole section dedicated to the women's team. Um, and you'll find on there they've got open days coming up. It's Sunday, uh, the 20th of June, 10 a.m. start at uh, Bishop Abbey National Sports Centre. Uh, it's basically open trials for anyone that wants to get involved on the playing side. You may find yourself playing for Wickham women next season. Um, <laughs> if you want to, you know, go down and... <laughs> You know, if you want to support the girls, they play uh, at Amersham Wickham College, which is down Spring Lane. 
it's free entry as well. It doesn't cost you any money to go and support them. And, you know, speaking to the girls, I know they, they'd love the support from anyone. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ben. Great stuff there. Ben Green, our chief reporter, with a look at the challenges overcome by Wiccan Wanderers women. A really interesting piece, and we wish them all the best for the upcoming campaign. We just passed 6.30pm and it's time for our Out and About section where we send our panellist Maria into the community to investigate local sports stories. And with the clay court season just finishing in tennis with Roland Garros, next on the agenda is the grass court competitions, culminating of course in Wimbledon. So ahead of that, we sent Maria down to Cavisham Lawn Tennis Club to see how they're getting on having reopened. The bouncing of a tennis ball, a familiar sound for many people who tuned into Roland Garros last week. But for members of Caversham Lawn Tennis Club, the sound of the tennis ball is not just on TV. Before heading out to the club, I spoke to the chairman, Peter Newman, about their facilities and club setup. We've got nine outdoor courts and quite a nice clubhouse. We've got about five or six hundred members. The club's also got a bit of a focus on juniors because our uh, bunch of coaches and they're really quite keen on bringing juniors on. So we tend to have quite a lot of juniors, a big pressure on the juniors. There's a bit of a hole in the age gap, you know, in the sort of late teenagers to early 20s, but the rest of it's um, fairly well represented. The club's been going since the year dot. In fact, it's celebrated its centenary a year or two ago. So it's a friendly club. Most people say that when they uh, join it, there's a, a, a sort of friendliness about it and a family about it. And then we have a very good support from uh, the uh, coaching company, GDC. Uh, they're very good coaches. It does mean that we get uh, a lot of coaching and a lot of good players. It's uh, a club run by people on a voluntary basis. Uh, using their own time. He also told me about the impact of the club's closure on members. It significantly affected us, but not not disastrous. We, you know, we put a, a, a lock on the front gate and no one went there for months. A lot of people were out of tennis for a long time. You know, and when they came back, you know, they all rushed in and had to try and get back up to speed. I mean, luckily, because it's an outdoor sport, we were allowed back uh, some time ago. We, so we've been back for a month or two, I think. And we are back in, uh, in business again. Slowly but surely, we'll try and get the club back to where it was two years ago. Well, I'm here now at the tennis club and the landscape of the courts is just phenomenal. It is really beautiful. And I'm here to speak to the social secretary, Linda Sirk, about how it feels to return to the sport. Being able to be back on court and whacking that ball, getting all the frustration out of you, has been absolutely brilliant. And I found that I've become quite addicted to tennis since I joined two and a half years ago. So not being able to play was a real punishment. So being back on court and seeing everyone again as well and socialising because it's so easy to make friends here. It's been brilliant being back. Linda went on to explain to me that the club has not yet returned to full capacity. I think it's still picking up, so if I'm honest, it's not as busy as it could be. If you look around you now, it's fairly quiet. You hear a few balls popping in the background over the net, but otherwise it's quite a sedate atmosphere at the moment, and considering it's such a nice day, you'd think there'd be loads of people here. So it's slowly picking up, and um, also the social tennis in the evenings. Aren't as many people turning up, despite the bar having reopened as well. You'd think people would be flocking, but uh, that still needs to pick up but we're hoping in a few months or so uh, it'll be a full courts every day every hour of the day 
The club, however, did get full use during the second lockdown. Lots of people were turning up because at that time you just, you just didn't know what next decision the government would make regarding lockdown. So yes, it was absolutely packed and we were all playing and making the most use of it. And, and it turns out that you know the next lockdown we couldn't play, so we were all very glad that we managed to make it on court that time. Linda outlined the different opportunities available to members of the club. There's so many chances to join different types of lessons, so you can uh, join drills, you can join social tennis, you can have a private lesson as well. We've got a great team of coaches here and we've got a great social calendar uh, booked as well. We've got loads of great events happening, at least a one big event a month and a great social bar as well. We have players here who are 80 plus and you mustn't underestimate those players. I mean, they can whack a ball. So we've got a great vets team here. Uh, in terms of all abilities, social tennis, we make it very clear, all ages, all abilities. We don't have any room for egos here. This isn't Wimbledon. Everyone's here to have a good time to play. So it doesn't matter what level you're at, you can turn up and play. There's a session for everyone. And if you are kind of better than average, then there's also sessions for them as well. So you know, there's, there's something for everyone, there literally is something for everyone. With Wimbledon just around the corner, the club is preparing for perhaps an influx of new members. I'm sure there'll be a, a, a revived and renewed zest for tennis uh, come Wimbledon time. Who knows, some, some people might be inspired to, to join our club. If you fancy joining, then there are great deals, certainly for under 30s as well, and also for children, some great deals, membership deals to be had. So yeah, who knows, maybe Wimbledon will inspire a couple more people to join our club. Well, it's always the same, isn't it, when there's a big tournament on the horizon. We're seeing it in the Euros right now. Ben alluded to it with Wickham Wanderers ladies. And you can't help but think that Wimbledon will certainly perhaps spearhead some people into maybe inquiring about their local tennis clubs. Now, Maria, something that, that took me in the package when you were talking was the facilities. And at, and at local level, they really can be a mixed bag in, in any sport. Tell us what it was like down there, because it, it really did sound something quite special. So, so Cameron from Lawn Tennis Club is my is my local club, and I've known it for many years. But having been to other tennis clubs, I, I never appreciated what they have there. They have nine courts, about four different um, surfaces that you can play on hard court. They've got a bit of a softer one that uh, takes in the rain a little bit better, and then half half of the season they've got a dome up so they actually can manage to do it indoors as well for half of the season as well and they've got a huge clubhouse with a, a table tennis table obviously I've got to mention that is in there <laughs> <laughs> with changing rooms a bar that's open obviously it's not open at the moment and it's it's really nice the topography when you when you come in on the on the gravel driveway two courts straight there ahead and there's grass in between so you can watch people on any single court so it makes it perfect for tournaments. So just just in terms of being there, did anything sort of stand out to you in regards to their journey, at, you know, as a club through the pandemic? Yeah. So when I was speaking to the chairman Peter Newman, um, a few things stood out to me. He he told me three things that really happened during during the pandemic for them. One being um, business interruption insurance. He told me about and and their insurance had had gone on and it was due for renewal about halfway through the pandemic. So fortunately for them, they had the correct wording in their in their insurance policy mm. and they managed. Well, he told me it was for an unknown virus. They they got covered and many, many tennis clubs probably didn't up and down the country. So they got some paid compensation for that, but about halfway through the pandemic, they, they didn't get any more because it was written out of their insurance. And then, as I mentioned to Ed just now, the, the dome that they have that they put up during the winter months for people to practice indoors, well, that was up, and that, that was up during the, pan, during the pandemic, and actually their planning permission with uh, Reading Borough Council is that they can't, 
they, it has to come down. They only have planning permission for people to play on it during the winter months. So as soon as coronavirus hit, their company out in Belgium couldn't get over and no English company wanted to do it because you had to be so close. They needed 20 heavy men, heavy men, 20 men, to, sorry. sorry. <laughs> 20 men to carry the, the heavy dome around and no one wanted to do it mid peak season of the peak season peak of the the yeah. coronavirus so they really struggled they lost two of their courts during during the rest of the 12 months so they were really glad basically when when they found an english company that were willing to come out and take that dome down but no it's they they had a, a tough journey through the pandemic but i think as you heard there they're all really happy to be out there and it was pretty busy when i went down as well well, it certainly is great to hear about people being able to get back into a sport that they love. And we saw that, of course, or rather heard it with the table tennis package you did last week. And with Wimbledon approaching, as I mentioned, tennis is certainly set to be making the headlines for, uh, for some time to come. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Ooh. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Welcome back. We are listening to, or rather you're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. We're about to cast our net slightly wider than the Thames Valley as well with a hot topic segment where we chat about a sports story or stories that have taken our interest over the last week. Today we're focused solely on the last 48 hours, which not only saw England win their opening game of Euro 2020, but also witnessed Novak Djokovic clinch the French Open Championship. And that is where we'll start. Maria, I'll come to you to begin with. Just how big of an achievement was that for Djokovic do you think? Unbelievable I don't know if, if the rest of you watched that match because obviously it clashed a little bit with the with the Euros match but it was it was unbelievable it was a, a real spectacle he went 2-0 down as he did with um, the, the two Italian players as well fifth set matches he went 2-0 down against uh, Tsitsipas and he managed to claw it back but really the credit goes to him where he plays the, the king of the clay um, sorry the king of the clay and uh, Nadal when he played in the semi-final and that again was an unbelievable match just it didn't go all the way which I think a lot of people were a bit upset about because we wanted to see some great tennis but to come back and he went one set down and we were unsure if he was going to clinch that second set but it was it was a real feat and it just kind of shows to you that he's a real fighter and he, no matter what position Novak Djokovic is in he's going to come back and he's going to fight through whatever it is and honestly you watch him play in that final and it didn't even look like he was sweating obviously he was but he was he was just so on it, and I think towards the end you could see TT Pass was coming down a little bit in form. He couldn't make those drop shots anymore. He couldn't run into the net as fast as he could, but Novak Djokovic's form just stayed exactly the same, and if not, went up a little bit towards the end and just, yeah, he managed to clinch it. I think he's won in the Open era. He's the only person that won all four Grand Slams twice now, and he's definitely on his way. They were The commentators... Uh, commentating on the final was saying that after Wimbledon he's he's the hot favorite to win that and going forward going into the US Open he'll be on 20 grand slams the same as Federer and the same as Nadal so there'll be all three of them on 20 and it will just see see who goes up from there really I mean it really was extraordinary wasn't it because you mentioned it and and often when a player does go on and win a grand slam you know you, you do see them suffer a setback you know perhaps a game or a match goes to five sets when you'd anticipate they get it in straight sets but it happened to him more than once as you say and it's he didn't even look like he was kind of breaking breaking a sweat and that kind of resilience and consistency certainly in in the three key players that we've seen in the last 15 20 years which are of course Federer Nadal and Djokovic it just seems to it seems to rattle the players that are on the opposite side of the of the 
of the net because they look at they look across and they just think I, I don't know what I have to do and, and you certainly saw that with the opponent yesterday yeah definitely I think it, it goes back to his uh, match against Berrettini and he, that was a big match for him and he actually showed no emotion but if you watched his emotion after the Berrettini match was actually more emotion than after the final it was unbelievable and you just saw him He's clearly worked, gone back into the changing room and he's worked tirelessly on his body language and how he presents himself. You would have watched that final and even the semi-final and you would not have known that he was losing. He was two sets down in a Grand Slam final to get his 19th title and you would have had absolutely no idea and it was just unbelievable, really. It was great, absolutely great tennis and I can't wait for Wimbledon. Well, I'm going to put you all on the spot here because obviously between the four of us we will have seen a fair amount of players. Now, I'm going to almost play word association with you. I'm going to say to you all one question, okay, and it's the GOAT. In tennis, who is it for you that, that just stands out? Because obviously you've got this situation where a few years ago the idea that anybody could, could really... Uh, kind of mirror what Federer has has done over such a sustained period of time was almost inconceivable. Okay, Nadal and Djokovic were great players, but by virtue of the fact that they were, you know, going to be playing against each other quite a bit, it didn't really seem terribly likely that that you know they could go and emulate what he's done. They have, and now across the board, as you say, they're all they're all looking down the barrel. Well, they've got 20, 20 championship seats. So, Sam, we'll come to you first. When I say to you, the goat, the greatest tennis player of all time, who who springs to mind? Oh, Borg every time. Uh, just. I think Borg, if he was brought into this era, I think would beat all three of them. I just think he was playing with wooden rackets in an era where uh, he was just ice cold. I mean, he literally was ice cold and he just could win a game. You know, you had the hot heads there around of McEnroe and Connors and he would just stay cold as ice on the touchline, just playing it back, not going for that shot and not, you know, not risking it, but he played excellent tennis. And I think he would, probably give all those three a real good run for their money well he certainly had that tremendous rivalry with McEnroe didn't he Will greatest of all time tennis what's the name that, that comes to you do you know what I'm, it, just, even before you said it the first name that popped into my head was Roger Federer because I just think the way that he's done it over although you, like, you, like you said Djokovic has caught up with him Nadal has as well I just think there's an element of him doing it over such a prolonged period of time that sort of resonates with me, if you know what I mean. I think if you if you ask anyone, the first tennis player to, to name a lot of them, will just say Roger Federer. The man, the man oozes class in everything he does. And I don't necessarily think it's always about championships and titles when we're talking about the greatest of all time. It's also about you know how you act off the court and all the a lot of other contributing factors. And everything that Roger Federer does is just class. So for me, that's that's who I go for. And Maria, okay, just yourself. We'll wrap it up quickly because we still need to talk about England but who is that one name yeah I'll just emulate exactly what Will said I'm going Roger Federer and just off he's the people's player you you can sit and watch him for hours a lot of people I know even though Novak Djokovic has he's coming up and people say that he's going to overtake the the 20 grand slams and I have no doubt that he will but in terms of yes they all do a lot for charity they're all out and about as well they put their name out there think Federer is really the person that's that's going to stick in a lot of people's minds for the future yeah I've got to be honest I do again myself have to have to agree but it's as Will says I think it's not just about the Grand Slams and I, and I think numerically absolutely Djokovic will overtake him that's that's almost a certainty but for me personally the the man Federer just played such beautiful tennis at his peak 
peak and I suspect kind of akin to what you were saying Sam mm. about Borg that, that at his peak had he met these two at his peak for me his best tennis beats their best tennis but you know what it's a debate we could have all the time but the thing we, we scarcely appreciate as fans is how lucky we are to have three of them at the same time playing Absolutely. in the way in the style that they have so uh, you know we're grateful for that if nothing else just quickly then we'll talk about the uh, the England win over Croatia a 1-0 win and, uh, and a controversial team selection following a controversial squad selection previously Kieran Trippier started at left back Calvin Phillips in the middle alongside Declan Rice uh, at one point it was yesterday that following the announcement of that team I swear this is true the hashtag Southgate out was being was being trended on on Twitter and it, and it has to be said I've certainly seen a lot of very uncharitable comments about his style of management he's taken us to two semi-finals World Cup and Nations League Sam I'll start with yourself in terms of the selection and the win did the ends justify the means yesterday? Well, the ends clearly justified the means. Yeah, whether whether that's going to be good enough against some of the bigger teams, I don't know. I mean, competition football is all about luck. You know, it, it's those three inches here, that yard offside, that yard onside. We won't never know. I remember Italia 90. I mean, England were awful in the opening of that. Uh, and it was just David Platt's overhead kick. And then it was suddenly Lineker, you know, reaching out. And then the whisker away that Gaza was. You know, that's luck of tournament football. The, most of the good sides will be very, very similar. Look, Southgate's done well. He's brought those kids through from under 21s he knows them really well you've got to give him his due and uh, until he you know makes a mistake good on him go for it and Will you and I were talking just off air beforehand that Croatia team had of course beaten England in the 2018 semi-final in Russia but it did have a slight air of a fading side yesterday didn't it yeah yeah it did and I, I think you mean you look at that Croatia team even from the 2018, 2018 World Cup and even then it was aging it was, it was past its peak even then. That was just the best sort of run they had to get to a tournament. I think Luka Modric is one of the best midfielders that's ever done it in terms of he's won everything there is to one other than the World Cup, obviously, that he lost with Croatia. But there's, there's just an element of it that I, I, as much as I am getting carried away because we all get carried away because it's the Euros and it's coming home and there's nothing anyone can do about it there's an element of there's, there's, there's every ad- week there's a quote from you that, that is a career I, 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 I stuck my neck on the line last week and I'll do it again this week can, honestly can I just say the, the German team of Euro 96 actually sang it's coming home to their fans after they beat us they did yeah yeah, and they had it on the bus to, yeah. on the way to the semi-final as well it was that big the German teams also, also sing it every time they beat an English team away in the Champions League <laughs> every single time without fail so um, it'd, be, it'd be great to get one over them as well eventually but no I mean I'd go, going back to the point it wasn't it wasn't a strong Croatia team but I've said I've had this conversation a few times today you can only beat what's in front of you and we did that very well there's no getting away from it I, I before the, before the um, game, I wasn't happy with Gareth Southgate's selection. I didn't think Calvin Phillips should start. And I, I wasn't particularly keen on Trippier at left-back. And I stick my hands up and say, I got it wrong. He got it absolutely spot on. And that's why he's paid to make the decision he's paid to make. Um, no, no one was particularly, other than Calvin Phillips, maybe was particularly outstanding. Someone, each of those players still has something to give and that's what excites me going forward in this tournament. That was not it from England. There is so much more to give from individually all 11 of those players that if we can still beat a Croatia team like that, then what can we go on to do? That's that's the way I'm looking at it. Well, there certainly is more to come. Of course, England playing Scotland on Friday. Scotland have lost today 2-0 to the Czech Republic. Some cracking goals in that game as well. Certainly the second one, if you haven't seen them yet. So absolutely get online and do those. That concludes the Hot Topics section. We will, of course, come back with that next week and discuss all the sporting stories from around the country. 
Right, we're coming to the end of the show, but before we go, it's time to pick up the most eagerly awaited sports tournament in this studio over the last 15 minutes. Something of a niche reference there, but it is our on-air competition, which takes the form of a weekly predictions league. Each Monday, a member of the team will pick out a selection of fixtures across sporting disciplines, which are set to take place over the next seven days. All panellists must then submit predictions for each event and are awarded points depending on how close they get. A completely correct prediction wins a player three points, while simply forecasting the winner earns one. Failure to get either the entire result or the winner gets no points. Last week's victor was Sam, whose inexplicable strategy of both guesswork and favouritism won him five points, due largely to his prediction of a 1-0 win for England over Croatia, and he now sits top of the leaderboard for June thus far. But with three weeks still to go, there is plenty to play for. Now, this week's fixtures have been chosen by Will. He'll take us through what is our final section of the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> It's emotional. Yeah. It's, it's very emotional. Um, <laughs> is, is this because you're tied bottom? Is that, uh, is that what it's about? Yeah, it could be that. Um, <laughs> remember, you can play at home, of course, by tweeting your predictions to at River Radio Live. Now on to a man who does ooze class, just like Roger Federer. Take it away, Will. <laughs> That's a glowing introduction, Ed. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so obviously four games as usual um, that we're, that we're going to predict this week. I like the theme that you went for of starting off with an American game. I like it. Let's, let's cross the pond for the first game. Um, I've not gone with hockey, though, this time. Uh, so first and foremost, I want your predictions for the Brooklyn Nets against the Bucks in the NBA. That's tomorrow. That's Wednesday morning at half past one. The fifth leg of a seven leg series in the playoffs. Should we start with you, Sam? Yeah, we're going to use my uh, tried and trusted technique <laughs> and uh, go for the fact that we are in Buckinghamshire. So I'm going for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, it's kind of annoying for me, to be honest, that because I've gone for the Milwaukee Bucks, but I actually went and did some research. So if it's come to the same conclusion like that, it's, it's kind of distressing, and I sort of hope that you lose, but if you lose, I will lose. I've also gone for the Milwaukee Bucks. They won the last two matches in that in that series that you were talking about, and there's a couple of injury doubts for the Nets as well. Milwaukee Bucks have, have now got the momentum, so for me, it, it does have to be the Bucks. And me, yeah. Yeah, you, well, you're oh, next. That's yeah. Yeah. That's okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going with uh, Sam's logic. He's clearly top of the leaderboard for a reason. Uh, potluck, and I'm also going for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I was told, though, that we were meant to give a score, but no one else has. Yeah, I, I mean, you can if you want, but the chances of getting it right are ridiculous. So if you I'm want to go, go 107 to 96. I mean, okay, that's, well, that's almost exactly the score that, that took place a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, it was exactly the score, <laughs> and that was my logic. Right, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's any correlation between the two, but the odds <laughs> of getting the score right at all are pretty low. The odds of it being the exact same as one of the other games recently, it feels astronaut. If you get, honestly, and I'm saying it on it, if you get that, that's 100 points. Yeah, yeah, you, win, you win this month, Perfect. fair enough. <laughs> Just our, it's like catching the snitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've actually, um, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line. I'm going to go for the Nets. Ooh. I'm going to go for the Nets because um, I've called in one of my friends who is a resident NBA expert. He loves it. Um, and I said, obviously, I mentioned the, the Nets injury problems, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I still sort of thought, do you know what? 
I still think they've got enough. So I'm going to go. I'm going to stick my neck on the line, go against the grain, and go for the nets. Um, next one. I liked your theme of T20 cricket as well, Ed. I really did. Got Glamorgan v Kent on Wednesday evening. Sam, what are your thoughts on that one? Again, using my <laughs> tried and tested logic, uh, the wife's surname is Kent, so we're going for Kent. This is honestly, it's like being on an episode of Deal or No Deal. <laughs> It's like, I'll have a box number seven because somebody I know's birthday is on the seven. Well, 250,000 pounds is not up for grabs here. I've also gone for Kent, incidentally, as well. But again, I did some research. The idea that we could be on the same points based on this logic, I find absolutely baffling. And I wrote the rules. So, so I've made a rod for my own back. Maria, what do you think? Oh, I've gone for Glamorgan. No, no basis there. Just completely, well against you guys and if it goes well then maybe I won't be tied with you at the bottom well it seems to work for Sam so crack on (laughs) Um, I've I've followed you two and going with Kent Um, they've started really well to the T20 season and I just think I just think they're the favourites there Um, I've gone for the football on two two remaining football games I've stuck with two football games the two most important games of my life this week Um, we obviously England take on Scotland on Friday in the European Championship second group game full of encouragement after after they got beat by the Czech Republic earlier on today but I'll go to you first Sam how do you see that one playing out I can't see England losing this at all Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah we'll have the first 10 minutes of the Scots running around like headless chickens (laughs) kicking everything but after that class will lose out and uh, I'm sorry I mean Andy Robbo is a Liverpool you know, legend already, um, and Tierney will be back, but I can't see Scotland getting beyond, uh, you know, I don't even think they're going to get a goal. Do I need a prediction? Yes, please. Uh, 2-0 England. Okay, Ed? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in light of what has happened and, and for them to lose at home 2-0 to the Czech Republic, to be honest with you, if you look at those goals, good as they were, particularly the second one, they're embarrassing goals to concede from a defensive point of view, and I think England will as a prospect just add a little bit more spice to the mix they will not want to lose like that against England they won't want to lose but they Mm. certainly won't want to lose like that and I think they will be very very stubborn in resistance England tend to take a little bit of time to get going I think they will win the game I think like Sam inexplicably they will win (laughs) 2-0 echoes of echoes of 96 and Gascoigne's goal but uh, I think England will win that one so Ed is just copying Sam. It sounds that like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds so like it, doesn't it? Because he's top of the leaderboard. That's why I'm also going for a, for an England win. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's no chance they're going to lose. I think um, I, I'll go. I'll stick my neck out. I'll go three 0 I'll go three 0 Interesting. You've okay. all gone a bit conservative. You obviously didn't see just how bad Scotland were today. They were terrible. For no England. <laughs> I, I did feel you were building to something that resembled a crescendo there. I was just, just waiting to see to see what it was. Sam's bang on the money. They're going to be running around for 10 minutes, lose their head, start kicking everything, and class will lose out. Honestly, it's not five. I'll go for four, though. It's um, like the Jeremy Clarkson of sports reporters. <laughs> yeah. It's extraordinary. We're running, saying, I'll take it. I know we're running out of time shortly, but I'll say one thing. I don't think one of the Scots team players would make the England side. No. I think Andy Robertson might do, but... Uh, not, not with trips at left back. Very, very quickly, um, the biggest game of the week, hands down, the playoff final on Sunday at Ashton Gate, Torquay United, Hartlepool. There's only one right answer, but I'll give you the chance to go for it. Sam? Well, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to go. Oh for wow, it. okay, brilliant. I'm going to go for the Hartlepool monkey. <laughs> and what a score prediction? Uh, sadly, it's one nil. Sadly, it's one nil. Okay. 
I mean, I do feel I should play some record, running out of time or not, that, that you this wasn't in the show until about 12 o'clock today, when all of a sudden you said, right, I'm tearing up the fact we've got rugby in there, I need to know what you think about Torquay. Um, for me, well, we know what Ben thinks already. There's, ben, a, so. there's a couple of factors that, that do play a part. Gary Johnson's in charge now. Lee Johnson, of course, is his son, who's the manager at Sunderland. Gary Johnson was, was manager at Bristol City for some time. It's at Ashton Gate, and it's less distance for Torquay to travel. Uh, personally, I, I think Torquay will get the win, uh, and I'm going for 2-1. I'm going one 0 Hartlepool. Oh, Just, look well, who's copying week, Sam now. <laughs> last week uh, I, I copped it from you, so hopefully you'll cop it. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, obviously, Torquay are going up. It's as simple as that. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go for three-one. I think it really is. Uh, it really is as simple as that. Will you be? I mean, we know that you'll be going down to Bristol, and that's irrespective of whether or not you, you get a ticket ticket for the game. You mm. were there, of course, the other day, and I have reserved this final minute of the show to talk to you <laughs> about that. What was the atmosphere like there? Because obviously, I mean, it was Notts County as well, mm. who, I mean, in infrastructure are the biggest club in the league, you might argue. But you got the win. Uh, what was it like down there? It was just, just just incredible, honestly. I mean, you're looking at the way that the way that things are done, man for man, it, it was class. They were all brilliant, and I genuinely think fans play a part. It's a shame that there were no away fans there, and I genuinely genuinely do mean that because it, it would have it would have been really nice to have that sort of atmosphere back but man for man the players are incredible the fans are incredible and I, I honestly think over the course of the season the, the least we deserve is a playoff final so yeah 100% um, a, a thoroughly deserved victory and I cannot wait for Sunday Well you finished second and if you really are the second best team in the league then uh, undoubtedly you'll get promotion That's it from us here on Extra Time on River Radio Really enjoyed the company of you three Thank you so much for coming back in spite of my hosting abilities I look forward to seeing you all next week Thank you very much.